How did you discover that uh, diet has everything to do with our hormone problems? What we have found is that the benefits of doing that are becoming more well-known all the time. Um, we're now talking about mundane things like menstrual cramps and endometriosis and infertility and erectile dysfunction and so many things that are addressed by this diet that, that uh, getting the animals off your plate is just a great, great way to go. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back. Today, we finally get to talk to one of my all-time heroes. Uh, we had reached out and asked him to be on the show a few times before, but he finally made time for us, probably just because I'm a nag, really. Um, but Neil Barnard is a medical doctor. He's also a professor of medicine at George Washington University School of Medicine. So from my hometown in Washington, D.C., and he's the founder and the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And PCRM is an organization that you've probably heard of. He is very serious about advocating for preventative medicine good nutrition, and higher ethical standards in research and in in practicing medicine. So he's a big advocate based on his overview of the research uh, for plant-based diets and has gotten them written into the dietary guidelines uh, for Americans. He's uh, Since 2015, he's been a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and he's the founder of the Barnard Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And they're really leading out on making nutrition a major part of all medical care. So I had some tech issues that delayed our um, interview today by 30 minutes. And so this ended up being a short interview. But the nice thing about that is, you know, that Parkinson principle of the 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 job takes as long as you have for it. We got a lot done in this 30-minute uh, interview. And so I think you'll enjoy hearing from one of my all-time heroes, someone I've followed for literally decades now, Dr. Neil Barnard. So welcome to The Vibe Show, Dr. Neil Barnard. Thank you. Great to be with you today. Well, we got a late start. And so I just have some important questions I want to ask you. Um, you know, I feel like, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but you know, you can have a big room full of a thousand nutritionists and health and wellness experts. I'm personally in one that has more than a thousand people of this variety and it's their, it's their career to help people with their health. And they are, you know, they might be a CNS or some kind of nutrition expert and very few of them embrace the plant-based movement anymore, or, or they say they're plant-based, but they might eat up to like 50% animal products. There seems to be this movement afoot that's that's worse than anything I've seen in my 25-year career um, that's a little bit hostile to vegans. So will you talk a little bit about the whole term plant-based? Um, I feel like it's gotten watered down and even people doing the ketogenic diet sometimes will say that they're plant-based. Um, wh where, where do you think that comes from? I wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, terminology is something that drifts around and the word vegan is very clear. It means you don't eat animal products at all. It means you don't eat meat, you don't eat dairy, you don't eat eggs, you're vegan. Um, the word plant-based was invented to make vegan sound more normal. Um, 
you don't have to be a philosopher or you don't have to wear a tie-dyed shirt or have a taste for folk music to be plant-based. It sounds totally normal. The problem with plant-based, of course, is that while it does sound more normal, it's a little more vague. And so some people might say, well, I'm, I eat mostly plants, but not entirely plants. So, so that's kind of a current situation, but I wouldn't worry about it too much. The, the good news is that more and more people are getting the animal products off their plate. The more you do it, the better off you are. And what we have found is that the benefits of doing that are becoming more well-known all the time. It started out with being a great way to lose weight and Dean Ornish showed you could reverse heart disease and uh, our research showed that you can improve and sometimes even eliminate diabetes with this approach, but it's way beyond that. And um, we're now talking about mundane things like menstrual cramps and endometriosis and infertility and, and so many things that are addressed by this diet that, that uh, getting the animals off your plate is just a great, great way to go. Uh, I have a colleague who's been on this show a few times, and he and I have this running debate about whether the evidence shows that, and he believes there's a right diet for cardiac disease, there's a right diet for diabetes, there's a different right diet for cancer prevention. He even believes that there's a different diet for cancer prevention than for cancer treatment. What do you have to say about that? Do you think that the right diet um, works for all these issues that are facing Americans? There are certain things that, that are um, pretty, pretty hard and fast rules all across the board, but then there are some cases where you're going to want to make a, a particular tune-up in a particular situation. The things that we know uh, apply to more or less everybody is that a healthy diet includes vegetables and fruits and whole grains and the legume group or, or beans and peas and lentils. So vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and legumes, and those all turn into wonderful foods, of course, from uh, say Italian cuisine might be spaghetti with a tomato sauce, or if it's Asian cuisine, it might be a cucumber roll or miso soup, or if it's a Mexican tradition, it might be a, a corn tortilla uh, wrapped around spinach or beans or something. There's many ways to interpret it, but those are the four food groups that become our staples. You should supplement vitamin B12. There's never any need for animal products at all, and added oils can be skipped as well. That's pretty much it. Now, there are some times where you might want to uh, take extra care. If you have someone where thyroid uh, problems are a particular issue, you might want to pay more attention to iodine. Maybe they've got too little iodine in their diet or they need too much. In that case, you're going to want to look at, say, sea vegetables, which are a great source of iodine. Um, and so there are various uh, other things that you can do to tune it up. Uh, a person might be getting no sunlight at all, so they might need to supplement vitamin D. Um, so, but, but the, the general rules apply that nobody needs meat, everybody needs plant foods. And what's your take on people with hormone related problems since you brought up the thyroid issue? How did you discover that uh, diet has everything to do with our hormone problems? Um, accidentally, <laughs> I was sitting at my desk and the phone rang and it was a young woman who had terrible menstrual cramps and so much so she, she had a business meeting the next day and she thought I'm not going to be able to get on a plane to go there. And, what do I do? And um, I suggested something to her that I don't think any doctor ever suggested before, which was, I said, I'll give you a couple of days of painkillers to get you through the current episode, but why don't we try to prevent this next month? And I suggested a diet that had no animal products and kept oils to a bare minimum. And it, it cured her. She just, she didn't have menstrual pain anymore unless she would bring the greasy foods back into the diet. And so I then did a a randomized clinical trial of this very approach 
in a larger group of women, and we found that it really works really well. So um, we started to discover that we could manipulate estrogen functions. That, that's the reason that a woman has cramps. And, and maybe one in 10 women, they're kind of off the scale. But the reason a woman has these cramps, we believe, is she's got too much estrogenic activity in her body. Estrogen is the female sex hormone that causes the uterine lining to thicken up every month. And, every month. and if it thickens up too much, you get too much cramping at the end of the month. The reason this is really important is the very same unhealthy diet that leads to excessive cramping is also the diet that's going to lead to the same hormonal problems that lead to breast cancer. Um, and so if we can cure the more mundane problems that come from estrogen excess, we think we can also uh, hopefully stave off the, the life-threatening possibilities. Okay, so how can you manipulate estrogen in the body with your diet? Um, and do you think that some women are too low and some women are too high? I kind of have a personal reason to ask that. I'm headed into my annual testing and I feel like my arms have gotten softer. I'm, I'm post-menopausal and for some reason my hard arms are feeling squishy and I have a feeling that my estrogen is off. What do you, what do, you do with food to make sure that you're whether you whether you're a person who tests or not has the optimal amount of estrogen. Okay, um, estrogen varies. It's a bit of a roller coaster, but many women in, in the reproductive years have way too much, um, and that over the long run, as I mentioned, increases their risk of of postmenopausal breast cancer. So estrogen is is dangerous, so to speak. I mean, all hormones are like that: estrogens, testosterone, thyroid hormone insulin. If you have too little, it's not good, but if you have too much, it can be very problematic and even fatal. Um, so uh, let's say a woman has cramping or has endometriosis or she's got PCOS or, or whatever these things may be. Um, I would encourage a woman to, first of all, avoid animal products. Now, why would you want to do that? Dairy products come from a cow and they contain the estrogen from the cow's body. Uh, people may not be aware of it, but most dairy cows are impregnated every year. And pregnant cows crank out estrogens that gets into the milk. And so if you're consuming milk or cheese or yogurt, you're consuming traces of estrogen from the cow. The second thing is that the fatty foods, animal fats, but probably any kind of fat, increase the amount of estrogen in your body for reasons we haven't figured out. Um, so getting away from dairy is good, getting away from fat is good. But the third thing, is that fiber is helpful. And that's plant roughage. Fiber is in beans and grains and vegetables and fruits. Um, fiber helps your body to eliminate excess estrogens. And it does it because estrogens are secreted from the liver into the intestinal tract. And if you have plenty of fiber there, it carries the estrogens away. If you don't have fiber, the estrogens are reabsorbed back into the blood. So the reason we use a completely vegan diet or plant-based diet is that it has no dairy in it, so you're not getting the cow's estrogens. Um, it has plenty of fiber to escort the estrogens away, and it doesn't have the fat in it that's going to drive the estrogens up. So, so in, a, in a nutshell, that's how we're going to calm down cramps and endometriosis and that kind of thing. So with those kind of hormone problems, and a lot of our audience tells us that they have issues with these things, what about soy? Assume it's non-GMO, assume it's like a more whole foods version of soy. What about soy and what about flax? Because there's so many controversies about that. And a lot of women tell me that they think they shouldn't be eating flax because they have, you know, estrogen issues. 
Um, well, first, let's start with soy. Soy is fine. There, there is a lot of paranoia about soy, but it's not based on science. It's, it's sort of the same people who believe the world is flat think that soy is a problem. Um, the evidence is really quite clear that soy, well, although it attaches to the estrogen receptor, it, it, it's more of a break on it rather than stepping on the gas. Um, women who consume the most soy products have the least breast cancer risk. Um, and there have been many, many studies done, the evidence is pretty consistent, that if you consume a fair amount of soy, I'm talking about soy milk or tofu or uh, edamame, these kinds of things, your risk of, of breast cancer will drop by about 30% roughly compared to women who avoid soy. And women who have had breast cancer in the past, those who consume the most soy have the least likelihood of dying of their cancer. So soy is a good thing. Okay. Soy and what about flax? Flax probably much the same. Um, the, the only issue here is I think that you, you don't necessarily need to dig into enormous quantities of these things because they're fatty. Um, but I am inclined to think that flax is probably about the same. What do you think about the way medications are being used? And you can apply that to the subjects we're talking about here, breast cancer, um, probably more hormone though, because you've just sort of accidentally talked about two of the issues that I get asked about the most by our, our audience. I'm sorry, and which two are those? Um, well, breast cancer and hormone issues, but the big, the big question is how are medications being used that is or isn't appropriate in medicine the way you see it? Okay. Yeah. Wonderful question. Thank you for that. Um, medications are way overused. Um, and, and take a typical case. A person goes to the doctor and they've got a high cholesterol and they're going to walk out of the clinic with a prescription for a statin drug like Lipitor or Mevacor or something like that. 90% of those cases, they, their cholesterol would come down decisively if they would just follow a completely plant-based diet. And by that, I mean a vegan diet and they, if they kept the oils low. And the benefit of that is not only do you spare the patient from whatever side effects and expense there is from the medication, but if you look at people with, who are on statins over the long run, they tend to gain more weight and their risk of diabetes goes up. You think, good heavens, um, let's do it with diet if we possibly can. There is a role for medication, but it's much smaller than there is than it is now. Take uh, people with fertility treatments. Um, how many couples are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on fertility treatments? And when fertility can be influenced by diet, um, the milk sugar, uh, lactose, breaks down in a woman's body to produce galactose, which appears to be toxic to the ovaries. Um, will, will getting away from that improve your fertility? Let's give it a try. Um, in one of our research studies, in the, the, pain, the menstrual pain study I described earlier, one of the women in the study said that she was infertile. Uh, the second month that she was on the vegan diet, she, she became pregnant and she ended up having three children after that. Um, so uh, I use this simply to illustrate the fact that when we get our bodies back in balance, we often don't need not just medications, but other kinds of medical treatments. There's still a role for treatments, but they should be used much less frequently. Yeah, that's actually my story um, is that I went through uh, six years of infertility treatments and the drugs and the roller coaster and the procedures and five artificial inseminations. And then I went whole foods, plant-based, and I didn't just get rid of animal products. I also got rid of all the garbage food products. And then I had uh, four beautiful babies with no intervention. So that made a believer of me. And then I've just gone deeper and deeper in my research of it. I know that you have a lot to say too about 
um, the plant-based diet and, and you, you go the distance and you say vegan diet. I love it. Go for it. But you know, I'm, I'm actually interviewing those guys, Robbie and Cyrus, who I don't know if you know them, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm interviewing them today as well. And excited to hear what they have to say, because there's way too little talk about the vegan diet with diabetes. Um, tell me your take on that. And again, don't get too hung up on the words. Um, vegan just means you're not eating animal products. And that's a really good thing. Um, and then there are some people who will say, yeah, but if you're vegan, you could still eat potato chips. I mean, that's true. But that doesn't mean that going vegan is bad. Going vegan is always good. Getting away from animal products is a good, good choice. But what you discover is that it, a vegan diet is not the extreme end of your dietary exploration. It's kind of the beginning of it. Um, once you get the animal products off your plate, you then start looking at overly processed foods or greasy foods or sugary junk. And you start thinking, wait a minute, maybe I want to eat more simply. So you'll find that there's lots of ways of, of, of uh, dealing with this. And I'm sure that, that Robbie and Cyrus will talk about having whole foods and simpler foods. And, and, and they're right. They're, they're making a really good point. I'm doing another episode reviewing Game Changers. Um, and there was a great uh, little three-man case study experiment in there about erectile dysfunction. Um, I actually pitched my publisher several years ago about writing a book called uh, The Amazing Sex Diet, uh, just because my former career was as a sex therapist. And Basically, the thesis of the book is here, you guys, here's what it is. If you suffer from erectile dysfunction, eat plants, cut out the animals and the oils, like you're saying. Um, what kind of evidence do you have? We we definitely saw in Game Changers a pretty fascinating little experiment that, you know, got the giggles out of some NFL players. But um, what's the role of nutrition in treating erectile dysfunction? Because I think you've got 40 40 40% of men over 40 um, sometimes or often have, have a sexual dysfunction? Oh, yes. Um, well, first of all, you see erectile dysfunction all the time and you see it cured all the time um, by, with a plant-based diet. It happens all the time. Um, it's one of the more common side effects we see. Um, erectile dysfunction is not caused by performance anxiety. It's caused by narrowed arteries. And so if a, if a person grows up, as most men do, eating meat, um, or dairy products or eggs, these foods have saturated fat in them. It causes your body to make more cholesterol. They also have cholesterol itself. And so as time goes on, the man's arteries start to get narrower and narrower, but the, the arteries to his private parts um, are the ones that are pretty narrow to begin with. And so if you don't have good blood flow, he's just not gonna perform. Um, the male sexual anatomy is this hydraulic system that needs blood flow to work. And if he doesn't have it because his arteries are narrow, that's it. Now, Viagra will temporarily open them. But every doctor knows that a man in his mid-50s or thereabouts who's got erectile dysfunction, they know it's not performance anxiety. They know it's atherosclerosis. And if they're a good doctor, they'll explain to him that Viagra isn't going to treat your atherosclerosis. You, you have narrowed arteries in your heart. You have narrowed arteries in the carotid, the carotid arteries to your brain are narrowing and you could have a stroke. So you, you have to change your diet to save your life. And then in the course of this, we very often see the erectile dysfunction going away too. I'm so glad you said that because I've been saying this for a long time and saying that I wish that therapists would, would understand this because they are kind of barking up the wrong tree to help these couples with, with this issue that's becoming an epidemic. So, and, and, and let's go further. Um, in, in your body imbalance, I have a whole chapter on erectile dysfunction. 
Um, but it, it gets more than that. Let's say the man is at least able to perform sexually, um, but let's say he wants to, to be a father. Um, the more cheese men eat in research studies have shown that the more cheese men eat, the lower their sperm counts. And that's why, because you're dosing yourself with estrogens with every bite of dairy products. We were talking about earlier that dairy has um, estrogens in it. And so uh, as long as you're consuming dairy, you're consuming estrogens and that's not good for a man's um, reproductive uh, fitness either. Yeah. Let's talk about thyroid. There's a lot that circulates on the internet that people have bought into that if you have um, low thyroid Hashimoto's, you should be avoiding some really great classes of whole foods because of the anti-nutrients in them. And I've dug pretty deep on this and I can't find the evidence that if we, you know, if we're eating crucifers or we're eating foods with goitrogens in them, that this is somehow bad for the thyroid. In fact, I can find a lot of different, uh, you know, phyto compounds in there that are useful to the thyroid. What's your take on that? Do you think that there are classes of food that people should avoid with thyroid or just same as we've been talking about, eat a whole foods plant-based diet? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I think we should focus on what, or, or make sure that our listeners know what we're talking about. Your, your thyroid gland is at the base of your neck and it makes thyroid hormone. And that thyroid hormone goes to all, through the blood all throughout your body. And as it does, it gives you energy and it regulates your body temperature. And it, think of it as, as sort of your, your energy source. So you could be hypothyroid, which means you don't have enough thyroid hormone in your blood. Or you can be hyperthyroid, which is the opposite. You got too much. And the, the number one reason worldwide that people are low in thyroid is because they're low in iodine. They're, they're not getting iodine in their diet. And, and iodized salt came out in 1924, and it's got all the iodine you're ever going to need, really, for most people. Um, but if you switch to sea salt or Himalayan salt, unless it specifically says it's iodized, it probably is not, and you might be missing that source. So to tell you the truth, best, the best food source of iodine, apart from iodized salt, is, is sea vegetables. So if you go and have a, go to a sushi bar, skip, skip the fish sushi, but have the vegetable sushi, the cucumber roll or the sweet potato roll, that nori seaweed wrap, and, and frankly, all seaweeds, have a lot of iodine in them, and that's going to take care of that. But the bigger reason for um, thyroid problems is actually not iodine deficiency. That, that's worldwide, that's a big thing. But in the United States, the bigger reason is an autoimmune reaction. Our bodies are reacting to something, uh, possibly food, that is causing then us, it's then causing us to make antibodies to our thyroid gland. And that can either cause the thyroid to act up and create too much thyroid hormone, or it can cause it to shut down and make too little. So when people look at large populations, the group with the most, the highest prevalence of hypothyroidism is ovo-lacto-vegetarians, meaning people who are eating a lot of dairy, cheese. Um, vegans have the least risk. And if you look at hyperthyroidism, again, the vegans do the best, but now the omnivores do the worst. Um, so what we think is happening is somehow the meat and the dairy products are triggering the production of uh, thyroid antibodies. Okay, last you know category of wellness, health and wellness problems, and what diet has to do with it. Because then I want to, with just our last few minutes, talk about your body of work and a couple of things in your background that I would normally do at the beginning, but then we, you and I got a late start. Talk a little bit about depression and anxiety, probably one of the top three things that people talk to me about. Um, what role do you feel that the evidence shows nutrition plays in, in depression and anxiety? 
I think we're still learning, but we, we've stumbled into this area because years ago we did a study at Geico, the, the car insurance company. Um, and, and the reason we did this is their office is about four blocks from my office. And so um, we instituted a vegan diet at work for uh, Geico employees. And that meant that they could eat vegan foods in the cafeteria and they could have a weekly class or support group to help them stick with it. And what we found is that not only did, their, did they lose weight and their diabetes got better, which was the purpose of the study, but their moods noticeably improved. Their anxiety diminished and their depression would resolve as well. And in fact, their job absenteeism got better. And so we started looking at other research studies and we found that, that there's a body of literature suggesting that depression does get better with plant-based diet. And I, I do think we need more research here to, to see how universally that's true. But we do have two hypotheses as to why this is. The first thing is it's an anti-inflammatory diet and depression seems to be in, at least in part driven by inflammation in the brain. The second thing is that a plant-based diet gets your gut microbiome back in balance. And if your gut microbiome is out of balance, then all kinds of problems can result, including uh, mood changes. So those are what we believe are probably the mechanisms. So everybody loves the answer to this question when authors that we've been following for decades tell us, what do you eat? What are some of your favorite foods? What does your daily menu look like? What are my favorite foods? Um, really depends. Um, I grew up in North Dakota where it was every day was roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn. <laughs> except for special occasions when it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and peas. <laughs> Very limited diet. But I have to say nowadays, uh, I live in Washington, DC. So uh, a lunch, typical lunch for me might be more Mexican influence, like a bean burrito with jalapenos and a spicy tomato sauce or something like that. Um, or I'm a big fan of Japanese food. Um, and of course, I would do it all plant-based. So I might have a cucumber roll or sweet potato roll and miso soup and um, seaweed salads and that kind of thing, I think are great. Um, Italian, of course you can't beat Italian. So if I had an, an Italian dinner, it would be angel hair pasta um, with some maybe roasted garlic and artichoke hearts and a tomato sauce, and grilled uh, mushrooms added, and some, maybe some asparagus on the side. So those are a few things, but compared to those foods, which I, I love, compared to that, if you told me I had to go back and eat roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn, I mean, my diet now, despite the fact that it's vegan, is much more interesting and tasty than the, the old meaty diet that I grew up on. Oh, I totally agree. And that's what I used to make every Sunday night was roast and, and uh, roast and potatoes and a little bit of vegetables on the side. And I thought I was being a great mom by putting a little bit of vegetables on the side, which are, of course, cooked. Um, and so how far we've come. Tell us about your body of work, your latest book, um, what you're working on that you're excited about. Yeah, um, this new book is called Your Body in Balance. And the, the reason I call it Your Body in Balance is that our hormones, you need a little bit of hormones, but you don't want too much. You need to have them in balance. So the book starts off talking about sex hormones. So we'll talk about fertility and menstrual cramps and PCOS and endometriosis. And then we'll talk about hot flashes and, and how foods can play a role in all of those things. Uh, we, that's where the um, erectile dysfunction discussion is and also uh, cancer for men, cancer for women. These are all related to hormones. Then we'll switch gears. We'll talk about metabolic issues, thyroid hormone and diabetes. And I have a chapter at the end about how to avoid, avoid the environmental chemicals that might be causing part of the problem too. And I want to brag about the recipes. They were done by Lindsay S. Nixon, 
who you know, she's a happy herbivore. And Lindsay Nixon gave me 65 bang up great recipes that are easy to make. But she sent them with a note saying that this very same diet change had helped her to cure her uh, her own menstrual cramps. So I took that as a, a validation. That's wonderful. So your body in balance, everyone, anywhere books are sold. Where can my followers find you on social media or get on your newsletter list, whatever you've got going on? Okay. Well, our website is pcrm.org, pcrm.org. That stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And you'll see PCRM all over social media and you'll see me, Neil Barnard, uh, all over social media too. So I hope you'll join us and and connect up and we'll be good friends. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. We really crammed that in there at the end. It'll be a short interview, but I just feel so very grateful. It's been fun doing it. And why don't we do it again someday? 